0: Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this. There is so much in here, Lord. I pray right now that as we dig into this that the truths and the principles and the wonder of your gospel would just grab us. I pray, Lord, right now in this moment that as we reflect on these words, that your spirit would illuminate them in ways where we truly experience the revelation from God. A revelation that speaks into each of our unique circumstances in life, into the peaks and the darkest valleys, and into the highest mountaintops. We trust you, Lord. We are eager to hear from you, so have your way, Lord. We give this time to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we are in Romans chapter four. If you've been following along, we've been working our way through the book of Romans this year. And we've spent the first three chapters talking about sin and in the middle of chapter three talking about faith and this call that we are called to be a people of faith. And that our faith is something that moves you. True faith moves you to action. And Paul is writing to the early church in Romans. He's writing to this group of of Roman Christians, Jew and Gentiles, and he's calling them to faith. And in chapter four, he digs in to a little history lesson to give them this little taste, this authority and this evidence of what he's talking about. And I believe as he goes to, This character that everybody would know, this guy named Abraham, he's speaking in to those moments when maybe you feel a little overwhelmed. Maybe you feel a little overwhelmed by what I would like to call human hope. You've worked really hard. You've tried to do all the things, but life has hit you in a way where you do not know what is next. Or maybe you just feel a little overwhelmed at life. Maybe you just feel like getting out of bed is kind of difficult. And Paul is writing to you and writing to me and I believe writing to the early church for those moments of being overwhelmed by human hope. I've been reading this book by a guy named Alan Noble. It's a short little book, and the book is called On Getting Out of Bed. and It's a book about just the challenges of life and and truly mental illness and, and, and mental health and just the fact that all of us at some point or another find ourselves in seasons of life where things are just overwhelming and quite frankly, it's just hard to get out of bed. I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. I've had moments in my my life over the last few years where I've just, I couldn't explain why. My life is incredible, my life is good, but I've just had some days where I just kinda have a hard time getting out of bed. It's a little overwhelming by everything. It also seems to me that this year, knowing the context we're in, knowing that this has been a deeply difficult year for farmers and dairymen and agriculture. Or it can be really easy to get overwhelmed by bills. It can be really easy to get overwhelmed by life and just just living in California. Sometimes the responsibilities of the day feel so purposelessness, feel so fleeting, or maybe a young mom, or a grandmother, or a parent, just getting overwhelmed at just the responsibilities of the day, it can be difficult to get out of bed. Alan Noble writes this, he says, if you get to know someone really well and almost without fail, you will discover a person who routinely struggles to get out of bed in the morning. And not just because they're tired, They can't get out of bed because once they step foot on the floor, they will be launched into a day that is uncertain and lifeless, and in some ways, impossible. He goes on and says, here are some things that you will see if you get to know people. You'll discover someone who suffers suffers panic attacks every time there's another mass shooting. Someone who cannot stop obsessing over how they have failed as a parent, Someone who cannot eat or who cannot stop eating because of the guilt they feel from being sexually assaulted. Someone with a nearly debilitating mental disorder that only manifested after they were married and had kids, and now now their spouse seriously considers divorce on an almost monthly basis. Or someone who is stuck in the habit of living even though they feel terribly alone and bored. None of these scenarios are unusual. I don't know where you are. Maybe you are in a great space right now. But my hope is, is that I believe in this passage here, we're gonna learn that God had a word for a guy named Abraham. And I believe that God has a word for you. I believe that God has a word for you on those days when getting out of bed. is a little overwhelming. God has a word you. In this passage we learn here in verses one through three, that, it, that Paul is getting into the story of Abraham. He says this, what shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefathers according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I love this passage, because in here we talk a lot about believing in God. We talk a lot about believing in God, but here Paul notes something that goes all the way back to the story of Genesis. He says that Abraham believed what? Believed God. That God had a word for Abraham in a moment that seemed very overwhelming. And God shows up to Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 12, he makes this promise to him. He says, I'll make you the father of many nations. And he calls him into this new adventure. He calls him to leave everything he's ever known and to go into this new land that God has promised him that is not his yet. And as he goes there, in chapter 15, Abraham's a little overwhelmed. We learn that he's over 100 years old, and so is his wife. In Romans it says, he's as good as dead, And Abraham shouts out to God, he says, Lord, you've made these promises to me. I know you have this word for me, but I imagine he's saying something like, I'm 100 years old. I'm past like the baby-making days. And God in his graciousness shows up to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And this is what Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter four as he's talking about you and I and our call to faith, he goes back to Abraham and he's using the story of Abraham to tell us about the kind of faith we are are called to have and the invitation to not just believe in God but to believe God and the words that he has for us. He makes this promise to Abram and then God does something in verse 12, it says, "As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him it's really interesting this deep sleep that fell on Abram the other time this is referred the, the, the other time this is referred to in the Old Testament up, up unto this point in Genesis is when Adam falls into a deep sleep and he is." wakes up, and Eve is provided for him. So you, as the reader here is, is, is watching this interaction of God and Abram, the reader is anticipating God's about to show up and do something. It says, and behold, that's a pay attention, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Once again, when you see great darkness, oftentimes this is a sign of a theophany that God is about to show up. In Genesis chapter one, it says, and there was darkness. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, God speaks into Abraham into this dream, vision he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God says, it's, you got some work ahead of you. you got some, there's, some, there's some things ahead of you and you're in the future generations. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then he says this to Abraham. He says, as for you, You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then it says this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. See, God had called Abram right before this, to take some, to, to, to do what we would call a covenant. And the covenant would be where he would sacrifice these animals and he would cut them in half and, and, and it was called a, a, a covenant between God and man. And you were to pass through the animals that were cut in half and in essence, as you pass through those animals that were cut in half, the promise was that you would be faithful to each other that you, would, that you would serve each other, that you would go not from being master and servant, but from being father and son, brothers, family. And if I, you were to break that covenant, may what has happened to these animals that you walked through happen to you. It was quite a covenant. Sandra Richter, author of a, a great book, a professor at Westmont Seminary and at Westmont College and An Old Testament scholar wrote this. She says, can you anticipate what is about to happen here? Yahweh is inviting Abram to confirm the oaths between them by means of a standard covenant ratification ceremony. How merciful is this God who condescends to Abram's place in time and helps him to have confidence in the promise. She goes on to say, the trappings of covenant making are here. God is showing up to Abraham and revealing to him this covenant. And the first thing I think that, that Paul is writing about this, about this interaction in Genesis 15 that he wants you and I to know as we think about Abraham as, as Jewish and Gentile Christians look at this is that the word that God has for you and me is covenantal and it's covenantal for all and not just some. It's covenantal for all and not just some. This same covenant that God made with Abraham is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the people of God in the Old Testament. Paul is dropping this truth bomb on them, this new revelation that the faith of Abraham, you are invited into, and you are invited into the same exact covenant that God made with Abraham. This is, when he, this is why he uses the language of circumcised and uncircumcised. Circumcised would be the Jewish people. Uncircumcised would be the Gentile Christians. And Paul here is saying that this covenant is for both. The word is covenantal for all, not just some. We, through faith, can be children of Abraham, turn to the person next to you and say, We are children of Abraham. We are children of Abraham. In Galatians chapter three, Paul even states this. He says that we, even though many, most of us are not Jewish, because of faith, join in this family. Second, we learned in this text that the word is established on faith, not merit. The word is established, this is the next point, Angelina, on faith, not merit. It's really interesting. Paul could have went back to the covenant with Moses that was about the law, but he goes before that, and he wants to make it really clear in this chapter that that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, That the beginning of the covenantal work of God, the beginning of God's word for his people, the beginning of of the whole premise of Romans is that you can be righteous through the righteousness of Christ is that the starting point and the end points is faith. That our faith is established on faith alone in Christ alone. Look at what it says here in verses uh, 13 and following says this, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness, I have that circled, the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, the faith is null and the promise is void. If, if it's about the things that we do to get it, we fall short. It says this, for the law brings wrath. This is the first purpose of the law. It reveals to us our sin. It reveals to us as as chapters one through three showed us that all are unrighteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. But look look at this. It says, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. I believe right here, Paul is inviting you and me into a bit of a time travel. It's like he's inviting you and I to to time travel back to that moment when God makes that covenant with Abraham and he's speaking into Abraham and he's saying, just believe me, I have this word for you. Join me in this covenant. If I am to break this law, may what happens to these animals happen to me and I will make this happen and God never breaks his promises. And in that moment, all that Abram did, you know what all he was doing? He was sleeping That's what he was doing. And the crazy thing about this covenant is typically in these kind of covenants, it would be the slave, it would be the lesser man who would have to go through the animals. But in this moment, it is God himself and his transcendence who says, I will go through. I will make this covenant with you. And Paul here is writing to the early church. He's writing to a group of people who are starting, who are still struggling with the law and trying to figure out how it all fits together. And he's saying, Our foundation is in Christ alone. He is who we put our faith in. And we need to go all the way back to Father Abraham and recognize that when God was speaking into him and making this covenant, And when he said, you will be the father of many, what? Nations, plural. He was talking about us too. The word is covenantal for all, not some. The word is established on faith, not merit. And third, the word is hope from God, not man. As I was reading this text, there was one line that just gave me pause, because I didn't understand it. As it's writing about Abraham, it said this. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. In hope, he believed against hope. What are you saying, Paul? (laughs) It seems like a contradiction. He's saying, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. Commentators will say, what he's saying is, he says, in the hope of God, the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who created Adam and Eve and all the world and created us in his image, he is the one who's making this promise to you, this promise to me, and he's saying in hope, Abraham, because of the hope that of who God is, of his might, believed against human hope. Believed against, I don't know how I'm going to have any children. I'm 100 years old. I don't see any land. As a matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of giants and other people who live in this land that are really overwhelming. But in hope, I'm going to believe against the hope, against the things that the world says, the things that my flesh says, the things that the enemy is throwing at me. I'm going to believe that God, my covenantal God, is going to provide. I believe that's why it says he believed God. Not just believed in God, he believed God. And Paul writes about this here. Look at what it says here in verse 19 and following. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, she was barren, she had never had a child. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He believed God. And that is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. I think for many of us, perhaps the word today is that you need to hope against hope. That in hope, you need to believe against the hope that your life is hopeless, that your circumstances are hopeless, but to believe, like Abraham, in the God of hope. What do we sing today? The living hope. Fourth, don't miss this. Not only is the the word covenantal for all, but not some. Established on faith, not merit, is hope from God, not man. Hear this. The word is righteousness for us and not only Abraham. The word is righteousness for us and not only Abraham. Look at what Paul is doing here. He is going to do something that would have offended so many scholars, so many of the rabbis. He's gonna go grab this ancient text that's hundreds of years old and by the authority of the Holy Spirit, he's gonna make a reveal a revelation about the new covenant that includes you and me into this and actually puts us in this moment with Abraham. Just watch what he does here. Verses 23 and following, it says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Abraham didn't have this individual experience all by himself, just for him. That was also for us. It will be counted to us who believe, now we have an in, who believe in him, this is Jesus, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, paid for them, And raised for our justification. So that the Lord could see us as righteousness. See friends. The most important word that you could hear today is this. Even more than the covenant. Even more than the the putting your faith and hope in God versus yourself. Hear this. Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final word. This is what the whole story of scriptures is about. This is the confession of our faith. Jesus is the final word. I believe this is what John meant when he said in John chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes, in Christ. And so through him, by the amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. The ultimate final word for all of this is found in the very person of Jesus, and when we read this and we think about the fact that God has a word for you, it is in the person of Christ. So the question I ask myself, and I think the question that we should be asking is, how do we hope against hope? How do we hope against hope? Or maybe said differently, how do we get out of bed? How do we hope against hope? As we we think about the significance of this turn that Paul is making in Romans chapter four, of this invitation he is making, as, as I was thinking about what do we do with this? What is the so what here? How do we believe God? What does this mean for you and I? I kinda just thought about my days. I thought about tomorrow morning when I wake up. And it seems to me that the most important thing we can do, the way to start our days, is first, confess honest faith in Jesus Christ. Confess honest faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I said honest faith. If you go and read the Psalms, there's these Psalms of lament that were written for moments when it's hard to get out of bed. Psalms that were written for moments when, there's, when you're overwhelmed with grief, when you're overwhelmed with sadness, when you're overwhelmed with, with just life. And in the Psalms, you see this honest faith. You see David, you see Solomon, you see the people of God singing out these songs of lament. And oftentimes it's, how long, O oh Lord? Oftentimes it's, I don't understand, oh Lord, but they always end, but I will trust. They're always statements of faith, but they're honest. One of my favorite moments of honest faith is, is this interaction that this guy has with Jesus in Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine, verse 17. I want you to see this honest faith, and I believe we're called to the same kind of honest faith. It says this. It says, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I to bear witness with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked his father, notice this moment right here. He said, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. It's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Listen to the honest faith of this man. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief, oh, beloved. Some of us, we, we, that may be what our confession is right now. It's just a mustard seed of faith and there's a bunch of doubt and there's a bunch of circumstances around it and we just need to say, I believe. Lord, would you help my unbelief? And when Jesus saw the crowd that coming running, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. I think for some of us, perhaps, we just need to wake up and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe we need to pray the great words of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Perhaps the most important thing you can do in those moments when it's just a difficult day or you're overwhelmed by the trajectory of your life is to just focus on the day, to remember the words of Jesus that says, do not worry about tomorrow. Live this day in worship of God. Ask him for your daily bread today. As 1 Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Confess honest faith in Jesus. Second, choose to live like it's true. We were in our teaching team meeting and kind of working through this sermon and Pastor Doug yelled out, or Yell out. (laughs) Spoke out. I think this means that we need to live like it's true. Part of being a people of faith is to believe that, that the things that God promises me, the things that he says about me, that I'm gonna give this day, I'm gonna live this day like it's true. This is the true faith. It's the Lord I believe, help my unbelief. I love how Alan Noble talks about this. He says, when you choose to trust the wisdom of others against your own intense thoughts, that trust doesn't usually change how you feel or what you think, at least not at first. But you're not responsible for spontaneously changing your thoughts. In fact, if you try to fight your mind when it has turned against you, you may spiral further into intense, irrational thoughts. Listen to this. Reasoning with unreasonable people even if you are the unreasonable person (laughs) is a fool's errand. It's a sand trap. Your task is not to feel right, but to act right. Your task is not to feel right, but to act right. It has everything to do with getting out of bed, putting on your clothes, eating breakfast, doing the next thing you need to do, however simple, however small, taking a step to the block. Such are the tiny mundane acts of faithfulness that make up our lives. Friends, I think sometimes we read this text in Romans chapter four and we think, oh yeah, I need to join Abraham and and believe God about all of these big mighty things and I think for some of us we're missing the fact that every day you are invited to believe that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. To believe that every day is a gift from God. To join Joshua. He's standing before the people and he says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers. Next slide. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or as Colossians 317, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Choose to live this day like it's true like the word that god has for you is true and finally beloved don't forget don't forget what abram was doing in genesis 15. he was in a deep sleep Friends, we should wake up and we should confess our faith. We should pray, give us this day our daily bread. When we're overwhelmed, pray the Lord's Prayer. We should work with all of our hearts, no matter how the day goes, but when you go to sleep at night, when you rest your head and you examine your day, you have a conclusion to make, and this is the conclusion, resting in the sovereignty of God. Resting in the sovereignty of God. Conclude by resting in the sovereignty of God. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Perhaps if you're overwhelmed or you have a hard time believing God, turn to Psalm 121 and rest in this. I'd like to read this psalm over you. If you could, if you just close your eyes, I'm going to read this word from God for you. I don't know what's going on in your lives, but I pray that these words you would just hear the Lord speaking into you that you would just believe God in this moment, and as I read this over you, that you would just remember where your help comes from. And then after we read this, I'm gonna say a prayer, and then we're gonna sing of the only, the final word for it all, we're gonna sing of our faith and our hope in Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills, That as we reflect on this call to faith, this invitation to faith, right now, in this moment, God, that as we look at our lives, as we look at our circumstances, as we look at our future God, we just want to praise you. Well the truth of the matter is is we all belong to something. And we recognize in this moment, God, the things of this world, our own flesh, The enemy himself, when we belong to those things, that is just for their use. And we get tossed out, but when we belong to you, there is grace. And I pray right now, Lord, that as we sing, as we we give glory to you, as we worship you, God, I pray that you, in your sovereignty, in your goodness, that you would guide us this week. That you would speak hope into us this week. That we would be a people who join Abraham in hope, believing against hope. That you have made a way. That you have given us this day. And that you invite us to worship you. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Stir in our hearts and speak into our lives as we worship you And we pray this together in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and sing together.